You're waking up early here on South Florida Sundays. I'm Trey Brazier along with Mr. Patrick Franklin. He is the Urban League for Palm Beach County President and CEO. How's it going today? Good morning, Trey. How are you? All right. Feeling good on this Sunday morning. Today, we're going to talk to U.S. Congresswoman Sheila Sherfulis McCormick from District 20. Congressman McCormick, thank you so much for joining us. Um, you've had an outstanding first year as our representative here from District 20. Let's start off right now to talk about how has your first year been in Congress? It's been really fast and a lot of work, but it's actually been great. I think that coming in on a special election, especially in the middle of a session, it allows you to get a sense of how it is when everything's moving. Um, and I had opportunities to get staff and opportunities to actually even work with the members while they were in the middle of their projects and really see how it how you end up with the, um, the process. So I had to get in and get my feet wet, and I was able to get mentored, so we got a lot of things done very quickly. Absolutely. And, you know, for a lot of our listeners right now that don't realize that, you actually had two elections in one year. And uh, that, that, that's amazing. And your first election was a uh, very, very crowded field, and you won by five votes. And how, how, did, how did you feel after that? Well, it's, it's kind of like um, nerve-wracking, but we actually had four elections within right, 10 right. months. Absolutely. Yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so we had the special primary, then we had the special election, then we had the primary, and then we had the election. So we had four in, the, in like 10 months, mm-hmm. and um, it w- I think it's a good experience just because we didn't have the option to kind of like not focus on the district. We had to keep our election going at the same time we were building a congressional office. Mm-hmm. And we really had to build everything from scratch. Um, and it was a good experience because we were able to have our pulse on the community and what was going on. So when I came into Congress, um, you know, special election in the middle of everything, uh, Congress kind of made their, um, they, they had their plan on what their legislative agendas were. But because we came in as special, we were the first people to ring the alarm about the housing problems that were going on, that there was actually a housing crisis that was brewing, and we got that information from running, talking to the people. So as um, the country was shifting to a housing issue, as inflation was impacting the community, we were able to sound the alarm on gas and um, housing. So that gave us some advantages. Right now, going into a full session with two years, we're still keeping um, all the best practices we learned. We continue to have our town halls every other week. We continue to have surveys going out. So we can also always know what's going on and what the people are feeling and suffering from and not just stick to that initially in the beginning you have all these plans, but we want to make sure that we're agile enough to meet the needs of the people immediately. Absolutely. You know, in, in our discussion last week, we talked about the importance of voting. And you, of all people, can really express to, to all those who are listening why is it important to participate in this process called voting? Well, in, when you vote, people pay more attention to you, and that's really where you see um, a lot of the efforts are made and gains are made. So one of the things I'm always proudest about is when I talk about what my voters and my electorates look like. You know, in our district, we do have a solid number of black voters, uh, which is awesome, but a lot of our new voters, our younger voters, that generation has not actually picked up their mantle to start being um, heard. And so that's really what the difference is. If you are a voter and you say, hey, we're having real issues with housing, 
everyone on the Hill, the president will start addressing housing. But if you're not a voter and you're not you're not able to articulate yourself and say, hey, we're having an issue paying back our student loan debt. Um, and, and so that's really what it comes down to. I don't think everyone's aware that politicians, this country, the president, we move based on what the demand is. And we all have a responsibility to put our demands out. And that's how they get that. The Bible's clear where it says that, you know, you know not because you, you get an act not. Like, you know, it's a lack of us asking, right? If you don't ask for it, if you're not continuously putting that pressure on it, you're not going to receive. So I think that's what we have to get back to is educating people that this is your right and your obligation to ask for help in whichever manner you may need it. Mm-hmm. Um, this past um, Tuesday night was the State of the Union. How did it, how did mm-hmm. it feel to be sitting in that room? Hearing that, hearing that, that speech. It was interesting. This was my second state of the union. The first state of the union actually occurred, I think, two weeks after I was in Congress, mm-hmm. which was like, you know, it was a totally different experience. It was during COVID, so we were split up. So this is the first state of the union that we had under, you know, regular circumstances, and it was great. It was great because I had the experience of knowing more of my colleagues. So we had um, real relationships, and we worked on tough issues. So the camaraderie was there. But it was also a good experience now to have everyone in the same room on the same floor um, and have the president there who was reaching out and touching people. He actually was talking to everybody, touching people, and so we had that exchange. Um, Interesting, behind the scenes, what people didn't know is that the president actually shook the hands of everyone he came in contact coming into the building and leaving the building, which is huge. Um, usually they, we don't have that luxury where you get to see him up close and personal continuously like that. It's usually the people who are in the aisle. But he made a real, um, a real difference in doing that. So I actually had to leave right at the end, and I was trying to leave the um, Capitol. But we couldn't leave until he came. But he came through, and he actually took the time to shake my hand and actually spoke to me. And so the president is actually in Florida on Thursday. Um, so he was there in Tampa. And I told him, thank you for reaching out to Florida, coming into Florida. But we just really need to deal with the housing issue. And he was like, we'll get there. You know, We'll be on it to make sure we make a difference. Mm-hmm. So I think that's awesome. You have a president who's listening. When you have um, a Congress that's listening, now, we, we don't have the majority. However, we have a real strong unified minority. And um, the Republicans have been trying to work with us more, so I think that puts us in a good place. And there's some legislation that they're really open to. Right now, we have an AED bill, which is a defibrillator, automatic external defibrillator, and we have a bill that will allow these uh, defibrillators to be in all schools from K through 12, and we're actually providing the funding for the defibrillators for also the training that's necessary and drills to happen in school. A lot of people are aware of what happened to Jamar Hanlon on the um, on the field when he was playing football, and it was unfortunate to see someone on uh, prime time having a cardiac arrest issue. Um, but what came out of it, which is really good, is that he was actually resuscitated because of the external defibrillator, um, which a lot of people said it was a miracle, and we know that it was a miracle that he was, but there was also a part of it which was a life-saving science and technology that was available to him that unfortunately is not available to a lot of our kids who are having cardiac arrest at at school. Um, In Kentucky, there was a, a young boy who had cardiac arrest, and he actually died from it, and it was actually a defibrillator on the premises. However, there wasn't training, and no one knew how to use it. And he passed. 
So we're trying to bridge those um, economic and health gaps that we find a lot in our communities, around our children, and um, even some of our staff isn't properly changed. And so because of that, the Republicans have signed on. Uh, we have support from all the major leagues, uh, athletic divisions from the um, National Hockey League, the National Football League, and we have a lot of football players who are on board. So, you know, I think the real issues that people care about, saving our kids, making sure we have equitable access to life-saving um, mechanisms, machinery, training, we're all on board. So I'm happy to see that we can move that legislation. We also have another legislation that is getting bipartisan support, which is the uh, flavored e-cigarettes that are disposable. Uh, when we looked at the statistics and we found out what was going on, the kids are smoking these disposable cigarettes in the um, in their bathrooms. Now, we have already um, the FDA out a band of flavors when it comes to uh, other types, but not the disposable one. That's a loophole, a loophole that needs to be closed. And we've gotten Republican support on that, um, and the White House has decided to do that. So we're getting there slowly but surely, and I think that we're starting to make sure that all of this um, extreme MAGA commentary rhetoric, the disrespect we saw on the floor um, comes to an end, and we're seeing that Unfortunately, um, even the push to sunset Social Security and Medicare, it is coming from our senator, um, Rick Scott, uh, which is unfortunate for the state of Florida that he would put that forth when Florida is one of the biggest retirement country, um, states in the country, that he would want to sunset Medicare, Medicare and um, Social Security. So many people paid into it already. But, you know, the Republicans are pushing back, and the Democrats started that. We were saying, absolutely not. We will not endanger and break our promises to the most vulnerable. We just won't do it. To our seniors, to families, to anyone with disabilities, we won't renege on that promise because you want to give tax breaks to your rich friends. Well, so I think we're seeing a lot of that. This is South Florida Sundays. I'm Trey Brazier here with Patrick Franklin, the Urban League Palm Beach County President and CEO. This week from District 20 here in Florida, we're talking to Congresswoman Sheila Scherf-Lewis-McCormick. You, you had mentioned earlier one of, one of your key points uh, that you were going after were, was housing. Last week we had um, County Commissioner Mac Bernard on who, uh, who was inspirational in passing the $200 million housing bond here in Palm Beach County. What, what type of bills are, are you looking at from our delegation here in South Florida to help us alleviate the affordable housing issue that we have here, here in Palm Beach County and other South Florida counties? Well, in last year, we passed the bill that changed the equation because what we saw is a unique uh, phenomenon, especially in Palm Beach. In Palm Beach, the affordable housing equation was um, severely impacted for all the new people coming into the state who were coming in with their salaries. So they were moving into Palm Beach County, as you see that every day, and they're coming in with these huge salaries. So when you do the equation, it was saying that in, um, a low-income housing should be, based on the equation, how it was, would be anyone who's earning $90,000 a year, and and that would afford you to uh, three, if you wanted a three-bedroom apartment or condo, you could be paying over $3,000 a month. Now, we know that those numbers are, are screwed, that that's not skewed. That's not the reality. So we passed the bill so we can have a real equation. And what we're doing now is increasing not just low income, but workforce housing. Um, we're taking a good look at that and working with the uh, Marshall Flood Department of Housing to get those dollars in so we can start building, but also looking at how do we get to this area. Um, there's a lot of people who have or organizations and groups 
who are buying up homes, trying to rent it, and just driving up the cost of housing. And we have to take an investigation and look at that, really, because until we stop these bad practices, the American people are susceptible to this, right, over and over. Another area that we saw was um, definitely impacting the price of housing that traditionally I think people don't realize is the cost of housing insurance. Um, how much people are paying for their homeowners insurance. The prices go up. The, the insurers themselves um, had some issues which the state was trying to take care of. But on a national level, we have to make sure that there's just one standard and nobody's being taken advantage of and making sure we have more money for climate resiliency and for hurricanes and just for protection. And then HOA fees. There was a lot of money that we put out from the federal government, from Congress, that went directly to our states and to our counties. I'm using for housing relief. However, some of those programs would not allow people to use it for their HOAs. And unfortunately, some people will pay their HOA um, fees first because HOAs can foreclose first before they pay their mortgages. And if you have uh, an issue like you missed your mortgage or HOA, so there's a lot of confusion and a lot of um, loopholes that kind of preclude people from getting the help they need. So we're moving to make the, the funding more flexible. So if you need help to pay your HOA, you could do that. If you need help to pay your mortgage or your rent, you can do that. Or even if you need to pay your homeowner's insurance, you can do that. Or if you have to pay your, um, your taxes on your home, you can do that. So I think we're moving towards more um, flexible spending uh, assistance for the okay. entire state mm -hmm. so people can choose how they need help. This is South Florida Sundays. I'm Trey Brazier here with Patrick Franklin, the Urban League Palm Beach County President and CEO. This week from District 20 here in Florida, we're talking to Congresswoman Sheila Sherflewis McCormick. Yeah, you, you mentioned homeowners insurance. Uh, as a resident here in, in Palm Beach County myself for the last 35 years, uh, our homeowners insurance is outrageous. It's going up and up and up. We're out of control. And um, not, not only for those who can't afford it, but for most of us who who have bills that, that are just going up. What can you do to help our local state government and others um, protect us from the rising cost of homeowners insurance here in South Florida and across the whole state? Well, that's exactly what we were trying to do. We were investigating to see what are the best practices and if anybody is actually price gouging, which we know some of the practices are actually hurting. So um, as members of Congress, we're looking into how we can investigate that. Uh, we're in a unique position with our governor. It's very difficult to work with him um, when he supports the other interests. So we're doing whatever we can do on our federal powers to help in that way. But until then, we're providing funding directly to the counties, directly to the states. In addition to that, my community funding projects were for that. So uh, we had 15 projects. Out of my 15 projects, I probably had more than five that went directly towards housing. One of them is um, a grant program through Catholic Charities, which will be giving different vouchers to help homeowners spending. In addition to that, we gave money to different um, counties, cities for that exact purpose. So we're really functioning on all cylinders, on all ends, to make sure that we can provide the assistance immediately while we're investigating on how we can prevent this from happening ever again. Very good, very good. How can residents in your district get in touch with you? Would you always reach me at my office or on the Internet? Well, um, we also do uh, a lot of... Um, a lot of acute community forums. And in our community forums, we actually reach out to our community, call them every other week. 
So if you jump on a call, you call, a lot of people tell me, Sheila, get your calls. We you know you're having a town hall. Please jump on because we do a lot of surveys and we get information. But they can also reach me at my office. Um, our offices are located in Tamarack and in, in um, West Palm Beach, but we have mobile offices. What's next with Sheila? Sheila. <laughs> what's next? With, what, what, what's on the horizon other than serving the, the people in District 20? Because you know, Sheila wants a vacation. I'm tired. <laughs> okay, all right. We we, we can arrange that. Spring break's coming up. Absolutely. Congresswoman, you are you represent the state of Florida in District 20. And, you know, we are in Black History Month right now. And, you know, we are the topic of conversation across this country with the issues with the um, with the governor and others who are changing our, our perspective on black history. Take a moment and just give me your take on why it's important that black history not only is in the month of February, but it, but is is engaged every day of of the whole entire year. Well, I think the biggest thing is that for so long our story has been told by other people, and that story has positioned us in a place of weakness or not really being the true um, intelligentsia and leaders that we are. 
And when we own our history, we could talk about all of our gains and who we were before we even entered the United States. And we could continue the sense of pride of how we have overcome, but how we have led. That has been, I think that's the part of our story that needs to be told, that despite whatever situation we were in in the United States, we always led in when it came to technology and science. We always led when it came to innovation. We always led when it came to spiritual awakeness and depending on uh, on our Savior to get us through. Um, and we've always led even when it came to intelligence. I mean, we've always pushed the, the envelopes and led new breakthroughs. And that's why we have to continue to claim our narrative and not let anybody try to suppress our narrative of greatness because that's what allows our future generations to be great. And right now, one of the biggest pushes that I have and I've been pushing, especially in this month, is that the Democratic Party is sustained in Florida and their base is the black community. And the black community needs to be prioritized, needs to be um, accepted. Without faith-based community, um, there if we we can't advantage who we are, and it is the faith-based community, it is the black community that holds us to the Democratic Party in the state of Florida. So if the state's ever going to turn blue, it will be through us. And for those reasons, we must be respected. Our needs have to be met, and we just need to have more engagement. And I really believe that that's not just Florida. If you look at the South, if you look at who actually got Biden to be president, it was the black community. So we have a responsibility to make our demands heard and to make sure that our demands are being met or there will be consequences. And I do believe that is the next level of leadership for the entire state is for us to be organized and have one ask not even just the Democrats, but also Republicans. Republicans have been trying to recruit black men, have been trying to recruit black people, and now we actually have the leverage to put the ask out there and make sure they return it. And so I'm committed to make sure that in every area that we are actually pushing and pulling and making sure we are delivering for not just us, but for everyone. And it's that time to lead and for us to lead aggressively without any kind of apology or without any kind of doubt that we can do it. This is the call for the next season. Right. We're, we're moving in a direction right now where we've been told that DE&I initiatives are to be banned or taken away out of our state universities. What's your, what's your feeling about that? I mean, just when we made an effort to move forward after George Floyd and so many of our corporations and everyone else jumped on the DE&I bandwagon, and just when it's moving forward, we're being told that it's going to stop in the state of Florida. Really, what's coming out is the insecurities and uh, the inability for some people to compete. And the truth is, we've been fighting so hard, and we are leaders that they can't compete with our finest and our best, and that's the truth. So the attempt to roll it back and to remove um, is not going to open up the lane and start and continue to raise up mediocre people who think they're entitled because they were born there or they were supposed to be there. Absolutely not. Uh, the way we're an evolving society, and on a federal level, we would not let that happen. And I do believe that this moment is going to be a, a, it's just a, when we look back, it's just going to be a moment when uh, supremacists try to lead, um, a moment when people try to go backwards, certain people who have to gain, and the whole world stands up and says, absolutely not, not today, not tomorrow, never that we'll continue moving forward, and we will never go backwards. Well, and that's going to take a united effort. Well, thank you so much for, for your comments, and um, we give you all the support that you could possibly need to, to represent us here 
in South Florida. We've been talking with U.S. Congresswoman Sheila Scherfless McCormick, District 20. It's been a pleasure, and we look forward to hearing many great things from you. And whatever we can do to support you, don't hesitate to contact us, please. Thank you so much for having me, and have a great Sunday. It's always a pleasure to work with you and to be here speaking to you. Thank you. Have a great day. You too. Continuing our conversation here for Black History Month. This is South Florida Sundays, by the way. I'm Trey Brazier along with Patrick Franklin, of course, from the uh, Urban League of Palm Beach County. Throughout the entire month, just showcasing black people, prominent black people from yes, this area. Yes, and, and I, I want to I take a moment. We always talk about black history, and we always think that we have to go back 100 years. No, I, I'm going to go back two, three years, okay? Let's talk about black history that, that is happening right around us right now. Um, we have... A lot of great news that, that are happening. Um, I want to talk about our first black county commissioner. And a lot of, a lot of the viewers and, and listeners know Maud Ford Lee. Um, Maud and her husband, Percy Lee, were inspirational in the starting of the Urban League 50 years ago. So I want to recognize the work that Maud Ford Lee uh, did as she became the first black elected Palm Beach County commissioner. And along those same lines, we're looking at the first black County Administrator Miss Virginia Baker, who's actually leading leading the charge right now. Oh, still she's our she's our County uh, Administrator right now, All right. and she's our first Black County Administrator. All right. Um, we had our first Black School Superintendent a couple years ago in Donald Fenoy oh. here in Palm Beach County. Uh, our first Black Judge was many years ago, the late Ed Rogers. Okay. Many years ago, and we just had on Congresswoman Sheila Sherfless McCormick, mm-hmm. and there's a little history behind that. She replaced the late phenomenal Elsie Hastings, who was our representative for 13 terms over oh, 26 wow. years. Oh, wow. He was our congressman, and um, he served this district for many years in, in, in great honor. Elsie uh, was a trailblazer back in his own right, and Miss um, McCormick came and replaced him. So yeah. she replaced the legend, yeah. and, and hopefully she can build upon her legend. So as we go on, we, we look at, in, in 2021, we at one time had four black police chiefs here in Palm Beach mm. County. We had uh, Chief Osgood in Riviera Beach. We, had, uh, we have Chief Adley, who is still there okay. in West Palm Beach. We had Chief Gregory in Boynton Beach and Chief Sims, who recently retired in Delray Beach. So that was a phenomenal back then that we actually had four black police chiefs in our four biggest cities in Palm Beach County. Yeah, that's huge. And they were all black police chiefs. And uh, we've huge. had many discussions with them o- over the years. And Chief Adley is still at the grind, and we hope to support right. him right. in, in, in his endeavors. Right. So, you know, we're going to talk about black history the, the, the rest of this month. But it doesn't have to go back years. It's right in right. front of us. That's it's good. right in front of us. So we, we want to encourage again. Encourage our listeners to engage, to go and really look for black history. It, did, it doesn't take much. Just mm-hmm. Google it and start understanding what is happening around you and what what individuals really are making up history right, right in front of us right now today. Yeah, yeah. So the Urban League has Heritage Day coming up this week, right? Tell me about it. Absolutely. This is our um, Heritage Day luncheon will be on Wednesday, February 15th. This can be at the Urban League, and, and we have a dynamic speaker coming uh, from ESPN to talk a little bit about black history and sports. And uh, I invite all those who would like to come by, sign up, go to the Urban League website at, at ulpbc.org and sign up to uh, join us. It's a free luncheon at the Urban League on Wednesday the 15th. All right. 
So the big one, the 50th anniversary celebration. I know you got to do it big this year, right? We, we're doing it big this year, Trey. We, we, we're not doing a breakfast. We're not doing a lunch. We're doing a full outright gala. All right. We're going to be on Friday, May 12th. Friday, May 12th at the Palm Beach County Convention Center. We're going to take time to celebrate the legacy of the Urban League of Palm Beach County here in Palm Beach County. 50 years, 50 years that we've been delivering programs and services here in Palm Beach County. And there are so many of you out there, so many people that had their hands, they had their, mm -hmm. their, their resources, their volunteerism, their uh, blood, sweat, and tears to help us get to this point. Please join us. May 12th. And I want to announce here at our entertainment that night is being none other than the, only, the one and only Kenny Lattimore. Oh, man. He's going to be our featured entertainment. We're going to have a full concert. It's going to be a dinner and a concert. I heard you were going up and doing a duet with him, man. At, well, well, I don't know. I might have to put somebody <laughs> else up there who, who, who's, who's more qualified. But it is Mother's Day weekend. And why not start off your Mother's Day weekend with um, a dinner and a concert to help celebrate the Urban League of Palm Beach County's 50th anniversary? And again, that's on May 12th on a Friday at the Palm Beach County Convention Center. And we're going to have as our entertainment and a full concert, Kenny Lattimore. There it is. There it is. How do they contact you if they need to? Um, you can always call us at 561-833-1461. Or you can just go to our website at ulpbc.org, urbanleaguepalmbeachcounty.org, and find all, all, all information about the event. And we look forward to really celebrating 50 years here in Palm Beach County. Special thanks to Congresswoman Sheila Sherfluis-McCormick and my co-host, Mr. Patrick Franklin, over at the Urban League. My name is Trey Brazier, and this is South Florida Sundays.